Thank you guys so much for tuning in. This is episode number 36 of Coaching Connections. On today's episode, we have a former NBA champion, a 13-year NBA veteran, a number four draft pick in the 1997 NBA draft, and now a color analyst for the New Orleans Pelicans, Mr. Antonio Daniels. We had a remarkable conversation. He is one of the most genuine and humble people I've ever met in my life. I hope you enjoyed this episode just as much as I did. This is episode number 36, Mr. Antonio Daniels, Coaching Connections. Let's get after it. Antonio, first, I just want to say thank you for taking time out to talk about hoops, talk about life and, and everything else in between, man. I appreciate your time. For sure, man. Anything For you, anything, man. Yes. <laughs> well, I appreciate that, man. First, let's talk about this whole COVID thing. You know, prior to having to go call games, you know, during the whole bubble stuff, you know, what was your life like? How did it change, you know, during this whole COVID situation? Well, coming home, um, like, it it was a blessing in disguise for me and my family. And I don't mean that to disrespect or um, dishonor anyone that was lost throughout this process of COVID. But what I mean by that is, Um, What COVID forced me and my family to do was slow down and appreciate what's important in life. So I came home. Um, I got an opportunity to be home uh, every day when I wasn't supposed to be here. I was supposed to be calling games for the season. Mm -hmm. Um, And spending time with my son, who's now two years old. So to put him to bed every day, to wake up with him every day, to have more time with him than I would have had otherwise. Me and my wife actually getting up at 6, 6.30 every morning to do prayer and devotion, things that we would not have done otherwise. So it just kind of forced us to reevaluate and reprioritize our, um, our values, what's truly important. So, uh, you know, I, I won't say, like, again, there's a lot of people that were lost through this virus, and it's still... Um, running rampant through our country. So it's a lot of people that were touched by this. And I know different people that were touched by this. But I know for me and my family, I think this is something, um, the quarantine was something that we needed to kind of just just relax, get rid of all the distractions and get back to each other. Absolutely. I feel the same way. I mean, you know, even just as a high school basketball coach, we're so busy and we get consumed with our job and our and we have yes. 50, 50 children at home on our basketball team. And so we get we get pretty busy. So to be able to stay home with the kids and the wife and, and as you know, we just adopted a couple of kids. Uh, yes, you know, I appreciate Dude. that, my brother. Uh, but it's, it's been a beautiful time for, for us to kind of get to know each other on a deeper level and spend some quality time that, that we otherwise wouldn't have had. So right. I totally understand where you're coming from. I, I mean, just, just the time that I've gotten with my son, that I would not have got otherwise, you know, the time that I've gotten with my daughters that I wouldn't have got otherwise, Uh, the time I've gotten with my wife. I mean, you know, with me playing for as long as I played, um, so my wife is used to me coming and going, and then me working with Oklahoma City for the last four years. My daughters have got accustomed to me kind of coming and going, but this year was different because this year, this is a completely different job. I'm traveling with the team. So it's almost like I'm playing again outside of the um, the exertion on my body. I basically have a player schedule. When they get on the bus, I get on the bus. When they fly out, I fly out. So it's a completely different schedule. Um, so it was an adjustment for my entire family. For sure. We can kind of touch on it now um, and, and get back to your childhood in a little bit. But I always <laughs> told people, you know, that you'd make uh, – 
you, you belong on either TV or you'd make an outstanding head coach, right? And so to see you doing what you're doing uh, on television, you know, com- color commentating and doing these things, I just feel like you're just naturally gifted at this and you're just blessed to be doing something that you're passionate about. And so it's just remarkable to watch somebody thrive in that in their element, right? And so, you know, just talk about that experience a little bit. What has it been like? You know, what made you want to get into this, this part of, the, of uh, I guess, uh, sports and entertainment and, uh, and the whole deal? Well, uh, initially, why, you know, I, I had a conversation yesterday with, um, with Ben Uzo, uh, with Chris Ross, and with Kenny. And we were talking about, I asked him about life after basketball. Is this something that they started to think about? Because it got to a point in your, it'll come a point in your career where you have to think about life post-professional career. And they're all and in their mid-30s, yeah. Right. So now you have, but see, you, you think about it, Marcus, there's no other occupation. There is no other occupation that spans about 30 to 35 years, if you're lucky. And then when you retire from that, chronologically, you're still young. Yeah. yeah. So you can be a doctor for 30 or 35 years, but that's going to start when you're 30 or 40. You know, it's a lot of the occupations, but they're going to start later on in life. Yeah. As an athlete, you start at six or seven years old. Yeah. And if you are blessed to play that until you're 36 or 37 years old, that's 30 years of your life that you are basically a, a basketball player. Mm-hmm. And now to say, well, this part of my life is over, but yet I am still 36 or 37 years old. And Lord willing, I still have a lot of my life left to live. I told them yesterday one of the most difficult decisions I ever had to make and one of the most difficult decisions that they would ever have to make is retiring, Mm -hmm. is retiring and walking away from basketball. So that means you have to start worrying now and being concerned now with life after basketball. And for me, I started doing that while I was still playing. Through the NBA, there are different programs that are offered, Um, coaching internships, which I did, Um, broadcaster university which I did, which is at Syracuse University. I went back 10 years later and I was a keynote speaker, which is basically NBA basketball players that want to transition post-career to an analyst. So I went three years ago and I was the the keynote speaker there with current NBA players that now want to do exactly what I'm doing. So it started for me then going to Sportscaster University and, and understanding the nuances of, of, this this job however you know the thing about jobs people don't respect people's craft until you actually get an opportunity to do it everything looks so easy until you have to do it yeah you know people that sit back and say man if that was me i would have watching a football game that's why monday morning quarterback is so (laughs) like it's so it's so relevant because everybody says what they would have done if it was them you know man if that was me if I was LeBron, I probably would have thrown it over here, you know? Yeah. And when I'm sitting back and I'm watching these guys on TV, prior to me doing what I'm doing now, I'm thinking like, man, I can do that. And I actually went to Sportscaster University and it was so much more difficult than I thought. Yeah. You know, when they tell you to talk about a subject for two minutes straight and you can't stop, you can't say, uh, 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 and you can't repeat yourself to talk and make a point and deliver an articulate point with a producer talking in your ear and counting you down. 
You know what I mean? It's a lot that goes into this that people don't understand and don't realize and that I didn't understand and realize until I got into the trenches at Sportscaster University. I'm already flustered listening to that, you know, thinking about, <laughs> man, I couldn't do it. You know, even this, you know, I'm not a, a TV host, a podcast host. I just did this out of, uh, you know, of uh, kind of a, a hobby I kind of picked up. And um, first starting out, I think we're 36 episodes in, you know, just I didn't know what to say. I didn't know how, how to say it. I didn't know how to deliver it. I was just trying to talk to other coaches and, and pick their brains and kind of see how they're doing. And so I can imagine doing something on live TV, trying to keep the conversation flowing and, and make it make sense while they're yelling at you in your ear. That sounds pretty complicated. <laughs> it, it, you know, um, I, I love it, though. I, I, Marcus, I cannot lie to you. I love it. I am a, I am a passionate speaker. Um, I'm passionate about the sport of basketball. I am passionate about um, life. I'm energetic by nature. This is how I speak. You know, it's like um, I I wouldn't trade it for anything because this is a situation where, you know, uh, I'm involved enough. So whether it's this or my radio show on Sirius XM, I'm still involved with basketball. And I'm still passionate about basketball. I still get an opportunity to interact with people about basketball, yeah. to debate with people about basketball. Oh, yeah. But my body does not need to take the, <laughs> the bruising yeah. and the waking up in the morning and feeling like I got hit by a truck. So I don't have any more back-to-backs, you know, that <laughs> sort of thing. So um, I'm passionate about it. I love it. And I can say that I am truly blessed to get an opportunity to wake up every morning and do something that I love and enjoy and look forward to doing. Well, I can tell you what, it, it really shows in, in how you present yourself and the way you, you, you do the job. It just, it's obvious that you're doing something that, that you are passionate about and that you were probably meant to be doing. And, uh, and so much respect for you, to you for that. Thank you. Thank you. Um, let's talk a little bit about your childhood. We'll go backwards a little bit. You know, where did you grow up? You know, what was your childhood like? You know, how did you get into the game of basketball? You know, any influences in your life? Oh, man. I grew up in the inner city of Columbus, Ohio, um, a block away from the projects. Um, Windsor Terrace was the name of the projects that I grew up a block away from. And my biggest influence growing up, like I have a really small family. Mm-hmm. So it was just my mom, my two older sisters, and my older brother. Uh, my older brother was, my mom is like my rock still to this day. You know, I have so much love, admiration, and respect for my mom because of what I saw her navigate our small family through with my father not being present. You know, him moving her from Denver, Colorado to Columbus, Ohio, and then leaving, mm-hmm. you know, leaving her at a new place with, with four children. And a single mom, that's where I got my work ethic from. Mm-hmm. Watching my mom go to night school after working a, a full-time job and then go to night school and then get her master's and all these other kind of things. Um, I, I fell in love from basketball from my brother, who I was the closest to him. Uh, I had a relationship with him like I had with no one else in this world. In February 8, 1996, I was 20. He was 21. The Lord called him home. He was playing basketball at the University of Dayton, six foot 10, six foot 11, 250. His senior year in college, my junior year in college, he was on every um, NBA radar, leading the country in field goal percentage. Um, and the Lord called him home. So uh, 
my, my childhood, I don't, I don't regret anything from it. I didn't have much growing up. Um, I know what it's like to have my lights cut off. I know what it's like to have our water cut off, um, the heat cut off, all of these different things. Um, but I was okay. You know what I mean? We were okay. Yeah. You know, my mom made sure that we were okay. And that for me was the foundation of my life. That's what I stand on today. You know, when things get hard and when things get tough, um, you know, obviously now my, my relationship and my love for the Lord is completely different than it was then. But um, my mom is just, is, is something, my mom was something special. She is something special. Like just, just her being who she is, the, the strong black woman that, that she is and what she instilled in me and my brother and my sisters as far as our future was concerned and the goals that she put in us at such a young age as far as education was concerned, as far as athletics were concerned, as far as just being good humans, just being good people were concerned. Um, I mean, that, that's basically my, my, my childhood in a nutshell. Um, and now I'm, as a father, it's different because this is a different generation. Um, my, my daughters and, and my son are obviously raised a lot different than I was. Yeah. You know, as I learned to do without, I try to make sure that my daughters and my son um, don't have to experience that and don't have to feel that. So the Lord has blessed me in incredible ways. He has and blessed me in so many different ways that um, and blessed me with the opportunity to continue to provide for my family. You know, it's crazy how time flies too, huh? I remember when uh, your oldest daughter was just born and it seems like it was just a, a couple of years ago. It's, it's insane, my man. <laughs> she just turned 50. She just turned 50. Man, you know, you, you guys, uh, now you got three? Three kids, correct? So we got Jada, who's 15. Mm -hmm. We have Jordan, who's nine. And we have AJ, who's two. Man, that's a, that's a, that's a big gap there, my brother. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's the biggest the gap going to get because we're done. <laughs> we're done. That should do it. Let's talk about some coaches that had some powerful impacts in your life. It could be some youth coaches, mm -hmm. college coaches, professional coaches, anybody that's had a profound impact on the man you are today. Not necessarily the player, but the man. Um, I, first and foremost, it, it's two coaches that I initially think of right off the jump. And that's two guys that coached me in college. One was Jim Laranega, who is now the head coach at the University of Miami. And the other one is Coach Stan Heath, who was with Michigan State um, when they won the national championship. And now he is the head coach of the Orlando Magic G League team, the Lakeland Magic team. Nice. Um, the two guys that I talked to constantly and you know the one thing that i wish coaches understood is at any level how much influence and impact that you really have i don't think coaches understand that you know it's you know you have coaches that they come in and they draw up x's and o's and they draw up defensive schemes and offensive schemes and okay this is how we're going to go about trapping the pick and whatever it may be away from that floor the influence that you have on shaping and molding the mind of young men and young women, you have no idea the impact that you can have. And I think a lot of coaches are that way. Like, 
I, I am a firm believer that the Lord places people in our life for a reason. There's a reason, Marcus, that you're a coach. And he has, he has entrusted and instilled in you every young man that is a part of that roster. And some of them that aren't even a part of that roster. Some of, you, some of them that you'll get to know just throughout the high school hallways. Yeah. You know, and Jim Laranega and, and Stan Heath. What I've gone through emotionally with those coaches. Because, again, I, I always go back to the fact that I didn't have a father growing up. So just different coaches that brought different things to the table for being there for me to talk to, being there for me to vent to, being there for me for relationship advice, being there for me for life advice, not just basketball. I have enough people that care about the athlete that I am. I have a lot of people that care, especially when you are, are, are set apart. When you're set apart to do something special, everybody's going to care about the athlete you are. You have very few people that are going to care about the person that you are. Jim Laranega, Stan Heath, uh, Tony Bazzuti, who was my high school coach, really cared about the man, the person, the young man that I was and who they wanted me to be as I've grown. Um, Greg Popovich, I, I can't talk about him enough. The greatest coach in NBA history, in my opinion. Nate McMillan the time that I had with him in Seattle and what he showed me and opened my eyes to as far as what the NBA is about. Mm -hmm. That's the realest coach that I've had, Nick McMillan. Like some of the conversations that we had when I was in Seattle, like really opened my, like, oh, okay, I get it. And then Pop, just watching Pop uh, lead the way that he led, you know, getting buy-in getting his best players to buy in. When I was in at Tim Duncan's um, Jersey retirement a couple of years back, you know, Pop had, I think, one of the best quotes ever. He said, Tim, I just want to thank you for giving me the opportunity to coach you, for allowing me the opportunity to coach you. In an era and a generation that is star-driven, where star have so much power, to watch Tim to be a part of this process, to watch Tim in practice and to watch David in practice and to watch Pop curse them out. And it wasn't just the fact that Pop cursing them out. It was the fact of how they responded, set a standard throughout the Spurs organization. Yeah. So when your best players buy in, everyone else will get in line. And I learned that here in San Antonio. And talking about Tim in, in that regard, is, that's one of the reasons why you uh, often say he's the best teammate you've ever played for. He, I think he's the best teammate in professional sports history. Gotcha. Not being the best teammate. I'm talking about in any sport, in any sport. And there have been a lot of great teammates across baseball or football or hockey, whatever it may be. Tim Duncan, in my opinion, is the best teammate in professional sports history because it's very difficult to get a guy of that stature mm -hmm. to sacrifice for what's best for the team why he's there but what really stood out about tim is look at the condition and the shape that he left the spurs in when he left yeah that's what really stands out to me he could have been on his way out and took a loyalty contract and ate up the majority of the salary cap and he didn't so you know what i'll right, take my five million even though i'm worth 55 million yeah. but if this is going to continue to put us in a position to stay relevant stay championship relevant, have sustained success, and win basketball games, I'm willing to sacrifice. How many guys in today's NBA 
will do that. And I said, at this time, at this time, when Tim Duncan was walking away, and I remember Spurs fans killed me for it. I said, when Tim Duncan walks out that door, the coach was walking out with him. That is not something that is easy to do. People take culture for granted. And when the culture builder or the culture builders are gone, now you have to start over with a complete new generation. Now you're running into issues and problems that never existed prior to those guys being here. Because those guys kept those things in check. That's right. That's right. So Tim Duncan leaves, and then LaMarcus Aldridge asks out. He wants to go. Okay? And then he comes back. And then Kawhi Leonard asked out. Yeah. And then he gets created, traded. And then LaMarcus Aldridge wants to be traded again. So it, it's, just a, it's a different culture. It's a different generation. Yeah. So, um, and that starts that start in the locker room. When you have Tim Duncan in that locker room, when you have David Robinson in that locker room, and Steve Kerr, and Mario Ellie, and Sean Elliott, you know, uh, Terry Porter, Jerome Kersey, all of these guys that I was best blessed to play with, that basically showed me what it meant to be a professional athlete. That's, those are culture builders. That's how you can have 20 plus years of sustained success, 20 plus years of making the playoffs, 20 plus years of winning 50 plus games because your, your squad, your, your, your roster is full of guys that are about culture, guys that are about sacrifice because it's all about winning. So just from a leadership perspective, what would, you know, if something did come about that was maybe negative, how would those guys handle situations like that? You know, the thing is, it, I have a difficult time. It depends on what you mean by negative, though. Yeah, I got you. You're gonna have you're gonna have issues in every locker room. Yeah. You know, you're gonna have dust ups. You're gonna have fights. You're gonna have this. You're gonna have that. It never. We never allowed it to fester. Yeah. You know, it was never allowed to grow. You know what I mean? Like, you may exactly. see it, but it never had room. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, so, and there are other locker rooms that I was in, and issues not only had roots, they had roots and grew trees. <laughs> so, those problems became bigger issues across the board. And in San Antonio, when there was an issue, we addressed it, and it was done, and we moved on. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, the Antonio Daniels basketball camp, unfortunately, couldn't have it this summer, but but how many years have you been doing it? How many years is it? 19. 19 years. And this, so, would have been, this would have been 20? Yep. So one, a couple of things that have always stood out about that camp to me um, was one, that you were always there every day, mm-hmm. open to close for the whole week, and, and you're, you're interacting with campers and you're interacting with the parents and the coaches, and it was uh, – Real genuine. It wasn't from a a, a place of um, you know a profit, right? I'm I'm here for your kids, and I'm here to to interact and show them love and teach them the way. And then and then another thing that always stood out was um, it was more than just basketball, right? A lot of life lessons were taught throughout the whole week. You know, uh, you guys open camp with prayer and end camp with prayer, and and you talk about a lot of life lessons throughout the week. So uh, just talk a little bit about what that camp has meant to you. You know, it's a family event. I know your whole family's there working it with you. And just what, what it means to your heart. Well, basically, Marcus, the way I, I look at it is I have essentially 35 hours with those children. Um, and I want to be as impactful as possible. And I want to give them something that 
will last outside of the sport of basketball. Thing is, anyone that's ever played this sport understands that ball does not bounce forever. And for a lot of people, it stops bouncing a lot quicker than others. And that's why it's not just a basketball camp. I I try and give and instill life lessons. I open every camp with with prayer. And I close every camp with prayer because I want every child that is there to understand the importance of prayer and the power of prayer. Um, Having a word of the day, you know, um, something that they can take with them. And like, there are certain things that we give them to work on at home. When you go home, I want you to work on um, your crossover. I want want you to work on your weekend dribble. I want you to work on your, your jump shot. I want you to work on your finish, your release, your footwork, your agility. What's wrong with giving their mind something or their heart something that they can take home as homework as well? You know, today I want you to work on being the best sibling that you can possibly be. Today I want you to work on being the best uh, son or daughter that you can possibly be. I want you to work on having a grateful heart to your parents. Because here's the thing. There are so many parallels between life and sports. Mm -hmm. You know, um, and if kids are at camp and they can't listen to me, or they don't want to adhere to my authority, then why would they adhere to an authority at school yeah. or a cop or, uh, or anyone else that's in a position of authority? Your teammate will soon be your coworker. Yeah. You know, when you get old enough, you know, uh, the homework that you have to take home, the things that you have to pay attention to as far as detail is concerned, will soon be homework or a term paper or uh, a job resume. You know, so there are so many there are so many parallels between sports and life. And yes, I want to instill in them to become better athletes. I want them to leave a different athlete than they were when they arrived on Monday. When they leave on Friday and we break camp on Friday, I don't want them to be the same athlete. But I'm more concerned with them being changed as people. Yeah. I'm okay if you're the same athlete but a better person. I'm not okay if you're a better person. If, if you're a better athlete, but the same person. Yeah, makes sense. I know you do. I know you guys do a really good job of both. I know the boys that I know that have gone, they're always dead tired and sore and, and, and better from it, uh, but also better people after they mm-hmm. leave that camp. So, so I appreciate you. For sure. You know, um, regardless of how busy life may get, you know, I noticed that, that, that you over the years have still remained in good physical shape. Now, how important is it to, to maintain good health physically, mentally, spiritually, the whole deal, to have that balance, you know, how do, how do you balance that? There's like, for me, um, health, whether you're speaking spiritually or, or physically is, is so incredibly important. You know, I, I'm right now, I sit here at, at 45 years old and I'm lighter than I was when I played, yeah. you know, um, I'm still working out with guys that are half my age. You know, um, because like I said earlier, my mother instilled a work ethic in me when I was younger. And I tell kids all the time and, and you know, young men that come up to me, hey, can I work out with you? My, 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 my dream is to play in college or my dream is to play professional. And I tell, Your work ethic is going to follow you wherever you go. You can't cheat the game. You can't cheat life and you can't cheat the game. You're going to get into it. You're going to get out of it what you put into it. And for me now, I'm no longer playing. You know, I go and I still play with guys, you know, just for the fun of it. But I don't, I'm not doing this working out for a purpose. Like I'm not trying to sign a 10 day. I'm not trying to get signed by anybody. I do it for the fact of 
my legacy as far as my daughters and my son and along with my wife. We live a very healthy lifestyle. And what that does is when my daughters see us working out, mm-hmm. when my son sees us working out, now they want to do it. Mm-hmm. When they wake up in the morning and they see me and my wife reading the word and, and they're doing our devotion and reading the Bible and praying together, now that instills a different legacy within them. So right now, my work ethic for me is more about legacy than anything else. I do it because I love it. I do it because it keeps me sane. But I understand and know that everything that we do in life, our children are watching this, you know, and I want my children to take my work ethic. I want them to take my discipline. I want them to take my love of the Lord. Even when I'm not here, that's what I want to be remembered for. That's powerful stuff, Tone. How important is it to utilize the platform that you have Mm. and and athletes alike, you know, and and what could our, our nation learn from the locker room of an athletic program, no matter the sport, right? But we're bringing people from different backgrounds and, and different places and building a family culture and, and all working towards one common goal. So what, what could our nation learn from the locker room of an athletic program? Well, first about the platform, I think it's incredibly important. I honestly feel like the Lord blesses us with, with a number of things. And, and two of those things are purpose, purpose and the platform. And I think we live in such a social media era where we feel like our, our platform isn't big enough or our purpose isn't big enough. So everything is based on followers and comments and likes and all this other kind of stuff. And that's not what using your platform is about. You're, you're using your platform is about um, education. It's about touching and informing other people that may not know, you know, and so, well, I don't want to, I don't want to put this out there. So nobody may, nobody may not like it. You know, nobody may not retweet it or whatever it may be. And that's not what using your platforms about, you know, we are all blessed with purpose and a platform. I, I firmly believe that now our, our purpose and our platform, it's all different. You know, we don't all have a LeBron James platform, but just because you don't have a LeBron James platform doesn't mean you're not influential. Doesn't mean that you can't be impactful. Doesn't mean that your words can't touch and change someone's life. And to the second part of your question, what I wish our nation can pick up from an athletic locker room is we we aren't that different. (laughs) Yeah. We're not that different. You know, um, it's a lot. I wish our nation could pick up from the athletic locker room how to have difficult conversations, mm-hmm. how to hold the person next to you accountable, you know, um, how to be a good teammate. It's a lot of things that this nation can pick up because the nation right now that we are living in does not want to have uncomfortable conversations. When you come into the locker room at halftime and you're down by 15 points, there are certain things that you have to diagnose that was wrong with that first half, yep. which calls for an uncomfortable conversation. You're not doing your job. You're not doing your job. You're not doing your job. And that's okay because the common goal is winning. But first, it takes a diagnosis of what's wrong. And we are living in a culture now that one, does not want to have uncomfortable conversations. Two, does not want to be diagnosed. And three, isn't willing to actually open their eyes to what is really wrong with this country. We do an excellent job of deflecting. 
So if you're in a locker room and you're telling somebody, look, man, you're not doing your job. That's the equivalent of him saying, well, I know I'm not doing my job, but he didn't run back either. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yes, sir. So we're not, our country does not diagnose what the real problem is. And until you diagnose what the real problem is, there can be no solution. There can be no solution to racism or prejudice or systemic oppression or, or any of these social, uh, any of the social unrest because to a lot of America, they don't see it. Yeah. They don't think it exists, yeah. which is disheartening. I agree fully. And, and I couldn't have said it better. I can see why you're, like I said, you're, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing because your ability to articulate what you're trying to say is, is remarkable. So I appreciate your insight. Mm-hmm, for sure. A couple of your, your most memorable basketball moments uh, throughout your life, you know, high school, elementary school, professional, doesn't matter. Okay. Um, I'll give you a few of them. In high school, I can remember the first time I ever dunked a basketball. Um, it started off with a rock. I started out dunking a rock, which is basically touching the rim. Yeah. So you find a rock, dunk it. Then it went to a tennis ball. Yep. Then it went to a volleyball. Then it went to a basketball. So in between my junior and senior year of – my sophomore and junior year of, of high school. So remember, understand, my freshman year of high school, I was 5'2". I was 5'2", yeah, yeah. 100 to 120 pounds so wow. i grew up throughout all four years in between my sophomore and junior year the first time i ever dunked the basketball first game of my junior year i got a steal and a breakaway and my heart was racing it's like oh my gosh i am about to get my first dunk and i got rim checked <laughs> got rim checked. So it didn't it didn't like it, it didn't you know in movies it's always it's always perfect you get the steal and the you know you go into slow motion and the music is playing and you take off and you dunk and everybody goes crazy. That's not what happened. Yeah. By no stretch of imagination. Like, it's a lot. My junior year and last game of my junior year in high school uh, broke my leg, mm. which will always be memorable for me because that carries a different significance. Yeah. And the reason that's significant to me is because, and I tell kids all the time, just because something bad happens to me doesn't mean that you can't turn it to the good. Sure. You know, there's, there's something good that you can't take out of it. So I end up breaking my right leg and then hopping around on my left leg for months. And if you ever followed my career, one of the best things I was good at was taking off of one leg. It's really getting off the ground and exploding off of one leg. And that came from me breaking my leg in high school, breaking my right leg in high school and then hopping around on my left leg, which made my left leg so incredibly strong. You know, so... Um, my, as I got to college, when my brother passed away, um, February 8th, 1996, my first game back after that, it was a week later and he was supposed to come to that game. Mm. And I decided to play cause that was a game he was supposed to play in. We were playing Eastern Michigan who was ranked 21st in the country at the time. Earl Boykins, Derek Dial, those guys. Yeah. Six seconds ago, they shoot, they miss, we're down one. I get the long rebound. I make the most elementary dribble move and the guy in front of me just falls. He just falls. So I go in and I lay the ball in, we went at the buzzer. And it was wild because to this day, and I remember talking to my mom after the game and she said, I guarantee you your brother tripped him. Or set a screen or something, right? (laughs) 
Uh, yeah, yeah, it, it's wild because it's not like I gave him a. It's not like I gave him a, a crazy move in and out crossover between the legs behind the back. No, I just basically just did like the smallest move, and he just completely fell over. Now wow. go in. We laid up. I lay in the ball. We went at the buzzer, and um, just the fact of the emotion of that game. Um, you know, with with a week after my brother passed, and so on and so forth. Uh, the NBA, obviously winning the NBA championship was freaking amazing. Yeah. Even though I, at the time, I never understood it. I didn't understand. I still talk to Tim about this today. Um, if there's one thing on the floor that I could go back and change about my NBA career, I wish I would have embraced winning an NBA championship more than I did. I did not. I mean... For me, this was my second year in the league. I had no idea what this meant. So a year prior to, I was in Vancouver, yep. and we were awful. My rookie year, we were awful. We were like 18 to 64. Wow. So then you get traded to the San Antonio Spurs, and that second year, you win an NBA championship. At that time, I had no idea what the NBA is about. So I'm thinking, well, shoot, we won an NBA championship this year. Tim's going to get better. David's going to get better. Everybody's coming back. Like, shoot. Why wouldn't we just continue to win? Yeah. And it's so much at the time I didn't know. I didn't understand uh, how injuries worked, how much that they could really impact your season, the outcome of your season, um, free agency, trades, guys being paid and coming back out of shape. You know, all these mm -hmm. other things that I had no idea what the NBA was about. Marcus, I made it to the NBA Finals in 1999. I retired in 2011, and in between 1999 and 2011, I never made it back again. It's tough. So it gives yeah. you more of an appreciation of how hard it really was to win that title. You know, and what, what is it? You no, know, thinking back, you no, know, what is it like to understand that that was the beginning of our of our run here? I say our, like I'm a spur, but you know, living in San Antonio, uh, the beginning of that dynasty, the championship runs and stuff. What does it feel like to be a part of that? You know, when you think back. As, like at that, you talking about the championship? Yeah, you know, bringing the first one home. Uh, no, it's it's a big deal here in town. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's crazy because now me being forty five years old and it being twenty twenty, um, once a spur, always a spur. Mm -hmm. And this has been home for me since nineteen ninety eight, and I can still walk throughout this city, and people still appreciate my time here in San Antonio, which was over, honestly, 18 years ago. Yeah. Over in 2002. Yeah. But just when it's all said and done and you are the last team standing, is, it's, it's, a feeling, it's a feeling like no other. And now as I've gotten older, I appreciate that feeling so much more. That's why I appreciate the greatness of LeBron. Yeah. Because I know how difficult it is to get there eight years in a row. Yeah. Win, lose, or draw. I don't care. I don't care if you lose eight in a row. The fact that you got there eight times in a row is impressive to me because yeah. everybody can't say that they've been there. Yeah. And if you've been there, everybody can't say that they've been back. And to go back eight years in a row like LeBron has done consistently, that's why I have so much respect for who he is and what he's accomplished. And I remember thinking back in your Washington days, you guys had some great battles on that Washington team. Yep. You know, thinking real quick, this is random. Some of the top scorers of all time. Wh where would you put Gilbert Arenas in that category as far oh. as being able to score the ball? Listen, Marcus, I, I tell people 
Gilbert is the most talented guy I've ever played with. Yeah. Ever. And people are like, oh, what about Tim? Like, no, I didn't say he was the best. He was the most talented. Yeah. Skills. People will not, people don't get it. Because in today's era of James Harden and, and Steph Curry, remember, there was an era of Gilbert Arenas and Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf, who was Chris Jackson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And had the opportunity to go head-to-head against Gilbert Arenas every day in practice. That dude offensively was amazing. I watched Gilbert give Kobe, I don't know what it was, 62? 60 and some yeah. And loafers. <laughs> and some, some – some, some, I'm, I'm telling you, the dude, there was nothing, nothing that was above him offensively. Yeah. Like, there was literally nothing that he could not do with that basketball. Like, we watched Damian Lillard shoot the way he shoots now. Gilbert could do that same thing. Which is remarkable. Gilbert I mean, was strong. Yes. Yes. Like, they just shoot from distance with such little effort. Yeah. You know? Strong, athletic, could put the ball on the floor, was a big guard, wide shoulders, um, could handle it. Like, Gilbert was was special. So imagine Gilbert, him right now. He'd be getting so many – I mean, he, he uh, did then, but now especially. You know, yes, so – And the game was a little more physical, obviously, with the rule changes of now. It's impossible to guard a guy in today's NBA with, that, that has the ability to handle the ball, to shoot from distance with accuracy – and put the ball on the floor. It is impossible. You can't guard James Harden. You can't guard Steph Curry. You can't guard Damian Lillard and Trey Young and those guys. Not if you can't touch them. Yeah. If you can't put the body on them, you are at their mercy. They can get any shot they want at any time. So, so when you think about players, you know, what, what makes a player a good player and a great player in the NBA? What, what, what's, and then I guess and then you got the tier of the elite players. What is the, I guess, the separating factor? Honestly, it's, it's skill set. I think it's one. Um, freedom and opportunity is another one. And I, I think the biggest thing is mentality. Mm-hmm. The mentality. Th- that's, where, that's where I think that's really what separates guys. Mm-hmm. Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant had a different mentality. LeBron James has a different mentality. Allen Iverson had a different mentality. So I, I think when you start talking about the elites of the game, regardless of position, their mentality outside of their skill set, which is obvious, is is really what sets them apart. You know what I mean? So it was almost like that no mercy mentality. And these, every star that you can think about that I've ever played with or played against have a no mercy mentality. They may go about it different. Tim had a no mercy mentality, even though he wasn't as loud and boisterous about it. Like he was going at your head. Yeah, yo, for sure. Every opportunity, he was going at your head. You know, just the mentality of a star, the freedom to know, you know what, I am going to get 18 to 25 shots, you know, every single night. And the confidence to know that there's nothing that you can do as a defender to stop me. Yeah. You know, that's, that's where you start talking about the different tiers of, of players. So I guess one last question. I guess since, you know, we, this is a coaching – Series. No, what would you say separates coaches as far as being a good coach and being a great coach Ooh. at the next level? Okay, are we talking about on the floor or off the floor? Uh, I guess it is two different things. So I guess you know, coaches that have the complete package, right? You got. I mean, you got to be able to to cultivate those relationships, okay. and, and and but also yes. 
in-game adjustments and, and preparation and, and the whole deal? So I think first and foremost, starting off the floor, you have to have a coach that understands ego, ego management. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that understands that everybody in that locker room is different and going through something different in life. You can't coach everybody the same. You know what I mean? Example, I have three children. I love them the same, but I can't parent them the same. Yeah. Because they're different personalities. You know, they're different children. They have different characteristics. They have different needs and wants. And when you're within a locker room, you can't coach every player like you coach this one player because everybody's different. Every, and, and what that means, though, is you, it, it's harder work for you as a coach. You have to exert yourself a little different because this guy may need something different from this guy. This guy may be going through something at home with his wife and his children, and this guy is single. So you have to be able to relate to different situations and different circumstances and different egos and, and different guys throughout your locker room, off the floor. On the floor, for me, it is about putting your players in the best position to be successful, knowing their skill set, mm-hmm. and then being able to cater your offense or defensive system to bring the best out of them, along with in-game adjustments. That's why, to me, Greg Popovich is the greatest coach of all time, because it's a lot of really, really good coaches in the NBA that only know how to coach one way and one way only. They have a certain style. Is it the triangle offense? Is it the Princeton offense? You know, is it the read and react offense? They only know how to coach one style. Phil Jackson is one of the greatest coaches ever. He ran the triangle with Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen, and it looked great. They won six championships. Then he runs the triangle with Shaquille O'Neal and Kobe Bryant, and they won three or four championships. But then he leaves, and he goes with Derek Fisher and the Knicks, and they try and put the triangle over there, and it didn't work. Because he didn't have the same roster. The roster was constructed different. With Greg Popovich, and I'm not comparing the coaches here, but what I'm comparing is the different styles. The fact that the way we won the championship in 99 and the way they won in 2002 and the way they won in 2005 and 2007 and 2014 were all different. He understands how to change his offense to the strengths of his roster. He never asked Sean Elliott to be Bruce Bowen. He never asked Bruce Bowen to be Kawhi Leonard. He understand who guys were, and he put them in a position to succeed at what they did best. And a lot of coaches cannot do that. That is not an easy thing to do. He won five different championships in different decades with different rule changes, with the, rule, with the league as a whole changing, the evolution of the league, of it being inside out. When we won in 1999, in that five-game series, no one scored over 100 points. Yeah. But now you go to 2014, where it's pace and space. That's where it started, where bigs are out shooting threes and so on and so forth. And yet they won it then against LeBron James, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosh and those guys. Yeah. So the fact of understanding how that I, as the game evolves and the players evolve and the players get more skilled as a coach, I have to mentally evolve as well. And be willing to do so. That's right. A lot, a lot of it, I think, is ego too, right? I don't want to change, but I think you have to be yep. willing to make that change uh, for, for your team. 
No, your team deserves it. Well, my brother, I, I appreciate your time. I know you got a busy day ahead of you. So I do appreciate you taking time out to talk, man. It's, it's nothing but love and respect. You know, you're one of the most real and genuine people I've ever met. So I appreciate you. For sure, man. Anytime. If you ever want me back on, I'd be glad to join you, brother. Yes, sir. Stay safe. Stay healthy. And if you need something along the way, you know my number. For sure. You too, brother. All right. Talk soon. My man.